I worry a little bit that uh, Derek is anticipating a long sermon when he opens me with, Teach me, Lord, to wait. (laughs) So here's your opportunity to learn. The Lord is ready to give you a moment here. Um, Fortunately for you, when I sat down and and began this study on, on the Lord and His prayer, the prayer that Jesus offers us in the Sermon on the Mount, I thought this will be one sermon, it's a short prayer, I'll cover all the topics and kind of talk about what Jesus wanted us to focus on in our prayer lives. Um, and I thought, boy, this, is, this study's getting longer. This study's getting longer. Uh, I thought, this is two weeks. And then I kept studying and I thought, boy, this sermon is three weeks. And then I started to think, boy, this sermon is four weeks, but then March for Missions saved you from week four, so we've got to get to work here. March for Missions is coming. Um, The Lord's Prayer, as it's often called, one of the most famous prayers, if not the most famous prayer ever spoken or taught or offered as an example of how people who would be Jesus' followers could pray. Uh, In some churches and communities, it's called the Our Father, the words that begin the prayer. There's churches around the world that that it's part of their regular practice of they don't come together without saying this prayer. And there's Christians that pray it daily or even more often or or as part of their regular practice of how they engage with God. And in the churches of Christ, we tend to historically favor spontaneous prayer. We like a prayer that comes from your heart and your mind at that moment that, that, that allows you to kind of stop and reflect and say, what are my most immediate needs in this moment? Uh, What are the things that are most important to me? What are uh, the thanksgivings I need to give to God out of the relationship that I have with Him in this time right now? It's more specific and relational uh, to me and God and and my context and my world and my community and my family. And it allows us in many ways to be genuine in a way that's very important. And, And it's a good way to pray. But a lot of times in our pursuit of that kind of spontaneous prayer that is very personal and individualized and use my words and my voice and my thoughts in this moment, we lose a little bit of the richness that can come from what we often call rote prayer. But it's also, in this case, scriptural prayer. There's ways to pray scripture that are incredibly powerful and meaningful that that can enrich our lives. There are prayer champions And I don't just mean in in history. We know people who pray better than we do. And sometimes it's because we read their prayers, and sometimes it's because we've heard their prayers, and sometimes it's because we've talked to them about how their prayer life works and functions. And when we are able to engage with people who are prayer champions, there's something special about learning how they pray. Now, does it mean that we need to repeat all of the words that they pray and just try and make them ours? No. But does it mean that sometimes by practicing the prayers of others, we can enrich our own ability to interact with God? I think it does. I think it does. Uh, Jesus certainly offers his words of prayer as an example And when I say this, it doesn't necessarily mean that praying the Lord's Prayer requires to just simply repeat it using the exact same words in the exact same order. It's one of the challenges we have. We generally use uh, the New American Standard Version or the NIV to read Scripture, and yet most of us who have committed the Lord's Prayer to memory memorize that in the King James. And so it's a weird thing to be reading the Lord's Prayer and kind of going, I don't think those are the right words, because it's a different version of English, right? It gets very uncomfortable. 
we, we tend to think when we're reading a newer version, we kind of go, well, I don't think that's how Jesus said it. I'm pretty sure he did the, the King James. <laughs> he didn't, by the way. But this prayer has incredible richness to it. One of the things I want to suggest to you in the next couple of weeks as we're going through this prayer is that it's not a short, simple prayer that covers a few things like daily bread and forgiveness. That, that really, within the richness of Jesus' teaching on prayer, what we're going to find is that almost the entirety of the Christian experience of being a disciple and a follower of Jesus falls somewhere under the, the purview of this simple prayer that has incredible richness. Uh, when Jesus offers it, uh, it's not just saying, repeat me. In fact, there's ways that you can pray this prayer that are very different than how it is often practiced, where it is simply uh, stated out loud, although I believe that can be a blessing to those who regularly do it. But you can also take this prayer and just take the first phrase of the prayer, Our Father in Heaven, and on Sunday, you can make that the focus of your prayer time. Just praying to the Father in heaven who is willing to adopt us as his children. And on Tuesday, uh, move to another line. I guess Mondays after Sunday. But each day of the week, take another phrase. Yeah, forgive me as I forgive my debtors, right? As I make mistakes. We'll get there. It's good stuff. You can take each phrase of the prayer and make that your prayer focus for the day, moving your mind through what is important in the prayer life of Jesus as you do that. You can also take the prayer and make it an outline so that in your prayer on one day, you could move through the Lord's Prayer and fill in what is relevant to you and in your reflections for that day in a way that really walks you through an incredibly rich spiritual exercise. And I want to show you what I mean when I talk about this. Here's kind of what it looks like to use the Lord's Prayer as an outline. He begins with, Our Father in Heaven. And, and just that phrase is an opportunity to offer prayers in your, in your daily prayer, thanking God for his adopting us as children and for the love that he has for us, that while he is in heaven, he is not far from us. He is not indifferent to us. He is our father. He's our father and he loves us like his own kids. And we can go to God and thank him for his choosing to pay such a great price to adopt us as his sons and daughters that we are the children of the Father. Hallowed be his name. And we lift up God's name for all the good he's done and for how great he is. It's one of the disadvantages to, to spontaneous prayer is we so often get so focused on our needs and in our immediate concerns that we forget that part of prayer is going to God and lifting him up, giving him praise and honor and glory and proclaiming that to him and about him in our prayers. Your kingdom come. A simple phrase that reminds us that the kingdom of God is continually breaking into this world and it's doing so through the church. And so when you pray, God, let your kingdom come, the question that we have to be asking in prayer is, God, what am I doing to bring your kingdom into this world? How do I bring the body of Jesus to people that need to see his hands, his mouth? Where do my feet take me uh, to take the kingdom into a place where it's not currently in existence? If I'm going to pray, God, let your kingdom come, I need to be aware that I'm praying that God send me. That's his plan of bringing the kingdom into the world is through you and through me. 
And so it's not a prayer of, God, let your kingdom show up when it's time. It's a prayer of saying, God, send us to the world that needs us. And you think there aren't ways that you can't, you can't pray about how you need to be part of God's kingdom, breaking into the world and transforming it to look more like God's kingdom than it does right now? Because if we had more Christians praying that prayer, the world would look better than it does. You can move into praying on earth as it is in heaven. And it's a beautiful prayer, imagining all the glories of the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, and how things will be better then, and then praying that some of those gifts start arriving in your life and the lives of those around you now. It's not just something we anticipate. It's something that we pray that God brings into our lives actually and realistically today. And as I'm moving through kind of showing you how this prayer works, uh, and you're going, boy, there's so much more to say about that. I know, and we'll get there, we're going to keep getting more and more into this. But I want you to see how this prayer encompasses so much and invites you into a richness of conversation with God. Give us today our daily bread. A prayer that God will give us everything we need that both physically sustains us, but so often daily bread in Scripture is what spiritually sustains us. God, give me enough today. Give me enough today. And if ever you're praying that prayer and you think, God, I've got more than enough today, then you need to realize that there's someone else who doesn't have enough and that God is inviting you to join him in the feeding of the hungry, the spiritually hungry, the physically hungry that there are those who pray for daily bread and don't have it. And if you've got three days worth of bread, you've got enough to share. The prayer moves into uh, praying that we forgive, God forgive our debts. That we invite God to, to reveal to me, God reveal to me the areas where I have fallen short and I have wronged others, I've fallen short and I've wronged you. Help me to see my shortcomings and forgive me so that I can be in a right relationship with you. And once I've had my debts forgiven, help me to forgive the debts of others. Who am I holding a grudge against and saying, I guess we'll just not get along anymore as long as we're in different places, that's fine. I don't need that relationship. Who are the people that you have decided uh, they're just dead to me that Jesus is inviting you in your prayer life to say, Jesus, Jesus help me. Help me to forgive them as you have forgiven me. Because there's nothing they've done to me that I haven't done to you or others. Help us to forgive others. The prayer continues. Lead us not into temptation. Prayers for strength, not to give in to our own evil fleshly desires. Prayers to choose a holy life with God's values as our values. Deliver us from the evil one. Prayer that God would extend a shield of protection against the threats of the forces of evil and darkness in this world, and that he would help us to be on the right side in the spiritual warfare that's going on all over this world. And so what we see is in this prayer, as Jesus kind of gives us these simple words, and so often when we pray them, we kind of fall into this idea of it being a little prayer. But I, what I want you to see is that this not, is not a little prayer. It is not a simple prayer, but it is, in fact, a quick way of working through a 
complex and rich invitation to partner with God in the work he's doing in your heart and mind and in the world around you. And that this prayer contains all of that lived out Christian experience is in there. It is a radical call to discipleship to transforming yourself so that you can join with God in transforming the world is all wrapped up in the little words of this little prayer that makes a big difference in the lives of people who are actually willing to pray this way. This kind of prayer can certainly direct your thoughts during your prayer time to God, your need, uh, your ideas to the world, to your spiritual and relational health, Uh, to your role in the spiritual warfare going on around us, but there's so much more in it. And we need to get to, Kevin said this well earlier, it's not just the prayer, there's instructions before it, and we need to get a little bit into these instructions before we get into the prayer. And so in Matthew 6, we're right here, uh, just right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is telling not only his apostles and disciples, but a huge crowd that's gathered what his kingdom is going to be like what kind of king he's going to be. The question on all of their minds is this, is this the son of King David, the heir to the throne that we've been waiting for? Is he the king? Is he the Messiah? Is he the savior? And if he is this anointed one, what kind of a kingdom is it gonna be when he takes the throne? And Jesus begins giving them this sermon and he says, listen, here's how my kingdom's going. To work. And in the middle of it, he says this, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. We need to get into this a little bit, because if we just take what Jesus is saying at face value, we're going to get in a little bit of trouble. And so we need to kind of explore this a little bit. Uh, What Jesus says is don't stand on the street corners and try and get famous with your long prayers. Don't babble on and on and on like the pagans do, uh, trying to get attention. Pagans, who's he? Pagans or Pharisees? I don't know, whoever starts with a P that he doesn't like. He's making a good example out of them. Don't just, don't let your prayers be a show about you. It's not about bringing you honor. And so if your prayer life is being done in a way that is saying, look at me, I'm awesome, give me honor and glory, you're doing it wrong. Now, does he mean that you shouldn't stand up and pray in public? Does he mean that you should always pray in secrecy, that it should be a part of your life that you don't share with others? There's no way that could be true. And here's why I say that. If we look back in some of the the heroes of faith in the Old Testament, what we see is incredible examples of prayer done in public. In the book of 1 Samuel, the book begins with Hannah. Uh, She's in Shiloh, and she's standing up. And and Hannah has desperately wanted to have a son for so many years, and she's, she's cried over it, she's prayed over it. And now she's in Shiloh, which for her is a holy place. 
And as she comes to a place where she feels that God is nearer her, her anguish is so significant that it says she prayed to the Lord weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, do not forget your servant, but give her a son. I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever touch his head. And she's praying all this, and it's out loud in a way that is visible and it's demonstrable. And, it, and she's also praying quietly, but she's just so racked with emotion that, that she's kind of making a scene. So much so that as she keeps praying, Eli observes her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thinks she's drunk. And he says to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. She goes, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. He, he, sees, he sees Hannah, and he says, this woman's just making a spectacle out of whatever she's doing. And she says, no, no, don't think that. I'm a good woman. I'm in great anguish. I'm crying out to God for a son. Uh, my prayers are just so deep and emotional that they've become visible, and, and, and I'm just so pouring out my soul to God. Eli says to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. What Hannah receives as a result of her public expression of incredibly sincere prayer is a promise that God is going to be faithful in answering that prayer. We see a story later in the book of Daniel, and we know this one well from the time that we were children. Daniel is someone who goes daily to, to his upper room in his house and he opens the windows where people can see him and he begins praying. And so as the people that are jealous of his authority and wisdom and all that God has given him, uh, they say, listen, how do we trap this Daniel guy? What they come up with is, well, I know, let's make praying to anyone other than the king illegal. And if you pray to anyone other than the king, will you get fed the lions? They thought... That'll get him. And isn't it remarkable that what they didn't think is he'll just stop praying once we pass this law? What they thought was there's nothing that will keep this man from praying and praying out his upper window open and facing Jerusalem. There is nothing that will make him give up on his faithful expression to God. If we just make it illegal, he's definitely going to go to the lions. And that's exactly what happens. In the book of Daniel, this is in chapter 6, it says, When Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king, spoke to him about his royal decree, and said, Aren't you going to throw him into the lion's den? Daniel's praying in a very public and visible way. This is different than what Jesus is talking about. Now, is Daniel receiving any honor or glory or fame as a result of the way he's praying? No. In fact, he's putting his life at great risk. He is exposing himself to death by lion. 
It's much more than I have ever sacrificed in order to pray in front of others. And yet this is honored by God giving him protection when he's put into the den with the lions. They don't harm him. Why? Because God is pleased with his commitment to prayer in public in a way that is visible and is known because it brings God honor. And so when we get into Jesus's instructions on prayer and what we see is that Jesus, who himself was known to spend huge amounts of time in prayer, prayed before meals, prayed in public, prayed on the mountainside, prayed in the wilderness. Prayer is such a central part of Jesus's ministry and people knew about it. Is he telling us that we should only pray in, in private? No. He's not telling you that you should only pray in your bedroom and in your closet where no one can ever know that you're faithful and obedient to God. Is he telling you in your public prayer life, don't bring honor to yourself, but make sure that you're exalting God and not your own reputation? Yes. That's what's important. We need, as Christians and a church, more public prayer. Pray before your meals at a restaurant. To bring honor to you? No bring honor to God. Pray in public and when you're going about your day and in places where people can see. To your credit, not to your credit, to God's credit and God's glory. And so as long as you're doing this in a way that is not about exalting yourself, you can pray in public and out loud in ways that do bring glory and honor to God. Paul constantly instructs Timothy in his ministry to find ways to go about the public doing of his ministry so that others might come to know God and give him glory. So this isn't about actually being secretive in our prayer life. It is about who's getting the honor. And with that, then, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven. And a lot of times we think of, of, of this as just the greeting of the prayer, right? Dear madam or sir, to whom it may concern, our Father in heaven. It's just a thing that, that Microsoft Word automatically populates at the top of your letter before you start writing what actually matters, right? And if we buy into that idea, then we take for granted that this begins with Jesus saying, when you pray, know that you're not praying to God who's far away, God who is distant, God who is powerful but not interested in the details of my life. He says, no, listen, when you pray, you pray to your father, dad, daddy, Abba, father. Our Father who has chosen to adopt us as His children. We cannot take that for granted. We cannot just think that it's the address and it's not relevant. In fact, it's, it's the book of Exodus before God introduces Himself as Father to His people. In the book of Genesis, we see God as creator, we see God as almighty, we see God as, as one who has rules and expectations. We see God as, in so many different roles, but it's not until Exodus that he is first described as father. The first time it comes up is in Exodus chapter 4, when Moses is having his conversation with God in the form of the burning bush. In verse 22, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt... See that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I've given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 
Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go so I will kill your firstborn son. something special about having God as your father. When you are slaves in Egypt and Pharaoh says, I'm king, I'm in charge, worship me, do whatever I say, God says, hey, Pharaoh, guess what? That's my son you've got in slavery. And I'm not going to leave my children in slavery. If you don't let my children go so that they can come and worship me as their father, there's going to be a price to pay, Pharaoh. It's going to be my kid or yours. If you don't let mine go, yours is going to die because I take care of my children. This is the first time that God reveals himself as father to his people. And it's in the form of telling Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, you're going to tell him to let my children go, and if he doesn't, there's going to be a price. And it's incredible that God already knows how this entire story is going to play out, isn't it? All that power, all that knowledge, but what matters is that dad's going to deliver his children. He's not leaving them in Egypt. And so it shouldn't surprise us when we get to the book of Ephesians that Paul writes at the very beginning of it, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, his adopted children. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ, through Christ. Paul writes and he says, listen, don't you understand? God had a plan from the beginning. God told Moses, I've got a plan here before you even go to Egypt to set my people free to deliver my children. Paul tells us, don't you know that he had a plan before that even? The plan before he even created anything, that he would adopt us as his children, even though the price for doing so is the death of his one true son. That's not enough to keep God from calling us his kids and delivering us from our slavery. Delivering us from, from our being ruled over by a different kind of Pharaoh ruled over by sin and death, and God says, no, 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 not my kids, not my kids. My kids are going to be set free. My kids are going to be my people. My kids are going to be able to worship me freely. Our Father in heaven, the prayer begins, and we praise God that he chose to love us as children and that he adopted us as his children, that he promises us deliverance and inheritance and love and relationship and a family. 
If God is our Father, then you are my brothers and my sisters, and there is not a world, if I'm in Jesus Christ, where I'm ever alone. Because I've got you guys. My family, who God has given me as a gift, and part of the promise of being our collective Father is that we are one another's brother and sister. And that changes how we interact with each other. It changes our relationship. It changes everything. And as a result of that and so many other things, the prayer continues with, hallowed be your name. Honor upon God's name. Our Father who is in heaven, let us give glory and honor to your name. We don't spend enough time doing this in prayer. Maybe you do. But generally speaking, we go to God and we want to tell God about our circumstances and our situations and our needs and our wants because he doesn't know. He knows. We go with many words. This is pointed out in the instructions. Don't spend all your time telling God what you need, what you want, what you think, all those things. Uh, He knows those things. Add times in your prayer life to make God's name honored and holy and lifted up. Praise Him for who He is and what He's done. The psalmists do this in all kinds of incredible and meaningful and powerful ways. One of them is Psalm 100, which says this. This is a prayer to God. This is the whole prayer. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us as we are His. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We need to spend more time exalting God. We need to spend more time adding our voices to the chorus of Christians and God followers through history that have told God that he is great and good and glorious and filled with honor because of who he is and what he's done. Give glory and praise with gladness and joy and lift him up. Prayer is so somber and we need to sometimes just just leave that and celebrate God because of all the good things he's done for us. If we were half as excited about how good God was as we were upset about what we saw in the news, we'd have a much better day. Every day. You just would. You would be happier if you spent more time glorifying God and less time praying to Him about how awful you think our world is. Switch it. Come on, Jimmy. Jimmy's excited because he's got a good God. Let's talk about it. Hallowed be God's name is a call for us to join in with praising God and telling Him how good He is. And it doesn't just give glory and honor to God. It's going to rightly orient our hearts and minds to understanding what God's doing in the world if we're reminded how much He's in charge and He's good and He's our dad and He loves us and He's going to take care of all of it. It changes us to give glory to Him. In the coming weeks, we're going to continue to study this prayer. I think what you're going to see is that this prayer is a prayer that appeals to God as one who can truly change the world. I mean, He can change the world, and if we believe it, we need to pray about it. But it's more than that. 
This is a prayer that can shape your heart and your mind, but it's also more than that. This prayer is a prayer that changes how you live out your relationships, changes how you interact with others, how you relate to them, how you give them forgiveness and ask for forgiveness when you need it from God and from others. But it's also more than that. This is a prayer that cannot simply be prayed. This prayer is a radical call to join in God's saving action in the world. And if we begin to pray this prayer and prayers like it, God's going to work in us and through us to not just transform us, but to transform the world through the power of this little, little prayer that makes all the difference. We're going to end today, if you would, by standing and reading this prayer together. If you'll stand, after we read this prayer, if you have any need to respond to the gospel or to Jesus or, or ask for prayers, uh, come forward as we stand and sing. But first, we all say aloud together, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have been forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I need thee every hour.